Thank you everybody for coming. I'm so happy and excited for class today because some of the words in today's chapter, what we're learning today, are literally music, music to my soul. It's such a eye-opening experience to experience what we're going to be experiencing today with Hashem's help. So, like Shlomo HaMelech writes, That means that a person is able to arrange their thoughts in their heart, but as it comes out, that's up to Hashem. Hashem should bless us that it should come out in a way that we can really relate to and resonate with. And after class last week, a few people messaged me about how deep the concepts were that we were studying last week. And it was a little bit disheartening. I was thinking, wow, maybe it was too deep. But then I got this rush of energy by reading the introduction to Adin Steinsaltz's book, The 13 Petaled Rose. And he writes his experience about what it was like to write this book alone in a room, not knowing who his audience was going to be, Sometimes he dictated it and sometimes he just wrote it. And he couldn't imagine the impact that that book had had. Literally changed people's lives. And he wondered what was it about the book that changed people's lives. He himself wasn't sure that it would have been well accepted. It was very abstract. It was deep. It's true Kabbalah. And he said he realized it was for two reasons. One reason was that it wasn't a book about Kabbalah. It's a book of Kabbalah. It's not a book about Judaism. It's an insider's view of Judaism. And encountering Judaism from the inside has a majorly deep impact. And the other thing he said is simply because it's true. And when people encounter the truth, even though they have to work to then relate to it and digest it and absorb it, It has a life-transforming effect. So here we are, we're studying together, and we're having a primary relationship with the text. There's a story from the Medrash of Rabbi Yanai. Rabbi Yanai was one of the greatest sages of his time. He was walking along the road, and in front of him he sees a very impressive-looking man, venerable. He looks like a sage. And he thinks, I should like to have the honor of having this man in my home to eat. So he invites him over and he says, would you like to come eat by us? And he said, yes. So they sit down together and Rabbi Yanni starts asking him questions about Tanakh. And he realizes the man has no knowledge of Tanakh. So he starts to ask him questions about Mishnah. Knows nothing about Mishnah. Agada, no Agada. Talmud, no Talmud. At this point, he's fed up. He feels like he was gypped. Here's a man who looks like a sage. He looks venerable, he looks wise, and he doesn't know anything. And here he sat down to have a meal together with him, and he's an ignoramus. So he says to him, wash your hands and recite grace. So the man answers him, let Yanai recite grace in his own home. Now Rabbi Yanai really had it. He realized that the man doesn't even know how to recite grace. So he did something that may shock some of us. And he said, could you at least repeat after me? And he said, yeah. He said, okay, repeat. Which means a dog has eaten Yanai's bread. What an insult. He called the man a dog. 
So the man gets up, grabs Rabbi Yanai, and says to him, you have my inheritance and you are withholding it from me. And Rabbi Yanai is confused. Your inheritance, I don't have anything of yours. I'm not holding anything back from you. And he said, oh, yes, you are. I was walking by a house of school children and I heard them learning. And they were saying, Torah tziva lanu Moshe Yaakov, which means the Torah that Moses commanded us is an inheritance for the household of Jacob. They said the household of Jacob. They didn't say the household of Yanai. The Torah belongs to all of us and you are withholding it from me. And this is a very Jewish story because the Torah belongs to all of us equally. And each of us deserve a primary relationship with the written word. So Rabbi, that's the end of the story in one way, but it's not the, other, the end of the story because Rabbi Yanni then asks the man, he realizes that Hashem caused him to host him and dine him and treat him respectably because he must have been indeed a very respectable person. And so we asked him, what are your merits? And he said two things. First of all, I never heard something negative about somebody and then went back and repeated it to the other guy. And second of all, I never saw two people who were fighting and left them without making peace between the two of them. And Rabbi Yanai was shocked at himself and he said, so much civility you have and I dare to call you a dog. But the point of the story is that Torah belongs to all of us and we each deserve this primary relationship because it was given to us, hand given to each one of us personally by Hashem. In fact, when the Torah was given, the words of the Aserat Hadibrot, the Ten Commandments, are Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am God, your God, in the singular. It wasn't like Hashem was speaking to the whole Jewish people and saying, I am your God as a people. He was speaking to each person individually and saying, I am your God. Our rabbis explained that each person was feeling as though the divine was speaking within their own ear. And each person said, Imi Hadibor Medaber, with me. This speech is speaking. So each of us has a personal relationship with Hashem. Each of us has personal ownership over the Torah. And with that in mind, let's get to what we're learning today. So we started examining the purpose of creation. Our sages made the statement that Hashem desired to have a dwelling place in the lowest realms. That was the reason why he created the world. He created the world because he desired a dwelling place in the lowest realms. And while that sounded simple enough, it turns out it's not so simple. Because what does lowest mean to Hashem? Nothing is higher or lower to Him. For something to be higher or lower means that something would be more of a vessel to contain Him. But nothing is a vessel to contain Hashem. So what does lowest mean? And we started to realize that lowest means in terms of world to world as they relate to each other. Higher worlds have less concealment. Lower worlds, and this world is the lowest, has the most concealment. So when Hashem had this desire of dwelling in the lowest realms, our sages meant to say that he wanted to dwell in the place where the concealment of the divine is the strongest. Now coming up, we're going to visit the concept of Seder Hishtalshalos. This is a very famous concept in Kabbalistic works. We'll see it a lot in Hasidus. And Seder Hishtalshalos means the downward gradation, the chain-like order of the descent of the worlds. So we all heard of evolution. Well, there's a Kabbalistic concept of evolution. 
Judaism, of course, believes in creation. There's no such thing as evolution. But yes, actually, there's such a thing as evolution, spiritual evolution. That's what Seder Hishtalshlos is. Seder Hishtalshlos is a chain-like order of the descent of the world, meaning that in order to create a world, there had to be a concealment of the divine. Remember, the truth is that there's nothing else besides for Hashem. If that truth is apparent, there's no such thing as a world. So that truth needs to be hidden to allow for an existence of worlds. So Hashem first hid himself somewhat, and then more, and then more, and then more. From world to world, it becomes a chain. So how it is, we look at a chain, right? So one link is linked to another link, linked to another link, linked to another link. The lowest point of the higher link becomes the highest point of the lower link. And that ha- that's how it is in Seder Hishtashlos. The lowest level of the higher world becomes the highest level of the lower world. Now, look at our world that we live in. Our world that we live in is just one world in a chain of worlds. You know, you think of like vastness of space, the planets, the galaxies, all this is just one world. The world that we inhabit is called Olam Ha'asiyah, the world of action. There are four worlds. The reality that we experience is an effect of the interaction and the interpenetration of all the worlds. We experience reality in this lowest world, but what we don't realize is that we are constantly sending things up and bringing things down from the higher worlds. Now you're going to ask, where are these other worlds? Do you know where they are? They're right here. They're simply other dimensions of being that we are not in tune to. We're physical and we can only perceive our physical world. But if we would have the proper capabilities, we could tune in to higher worlds. Like, for example, the room that you're sitting in is full of television waves, full of radio waves. The reason why you are not channeling those waves through yourself is because you're not the vessel for that. But if you have the right vessel, then you'll have the television playing television and the radio playing the radio because tuning into these dimensions and then expressing them. There are people who have experienced the higher worlds such as prophets. But when they want to articulate that which they experienced, their words, their descriptions border on the eerie and the fantastical. They'll say, winged creature of F heaven, eyes of the supernal chariot, the face of an ox. Why are they speaking like that? Do angels look like oxen? No, angels don't look like oxen. But because we are physical, there is no way to articulate the other worlds besides using terms from our physical world. So when a prophet describes an angel as the face of an ox, he means to say that this pure formless essence is best described through the face of an ox. In our world, that's how he can best describe it. So here we are sitting in just one world of all the worlds and experiencing a reality that's an interchange and an interplay of all these other worlds. And we're going to visit now this concept of Seder Hishtalshlis because we're going to look at this unit. We're looking at worlds that are very high and supernal that lead all the way down to this low and physical world. And we're going to ask ourselves, really, where would the purpose be? Let's look at these higher worlds, these 
fantastical, spiritual, holy worlds where the beings are so cognizant of the divine. And then let's look at our, our lowest world where we live in darkness, where we really can't feel what's going on, where we have no direct experience of the divine. And we are left to wonder, really, how could our sages have said that the purpose of creation lies in this lowest realm, in this place where there is no revelation, no overt revelation of the divine? Okay, so we are on page four of the printed out booklets. V'zehu inyan hishtalshalos ha'ilamais v'yiridatam limadrega lamadrega. This concealment is the subject of the hishtalshalos, the chain-like graded and downward succession of the worlds and their descent from level to level. Ayidei riboy halavushim hamastirim ha'or v'hachayas shemimenu yisbarech. Through the many garments that conceal the light and the life force emanating from him, the more the concealment and the lower the descent. So we're looking at our world and we're saying, okay, here there's really no divine revelation. But in the higher worlds, possibly they totally and fully experience the divine. But last class week, we looked at the words of our sages who explained that there is not a being in any world that has direct contact that has direct revelation that has pure unadulterated vision of the divine that can't be man cannot see me and exist an angel cannot see me and exist there is no being that can totally experience the essence of the divine and continue to exist and in fact the lower we get the more we seem to see now, let me explain that, what I mean when I say that, okay? In the very highest world, there really is no sense of self. There is much more of a perception of the truth that there's nothing else besides Hashem. The lower we get in the world, the stronger the sense of self. Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the greatest of all the prophets, our sages said about him that he looked through a clear looking glass. What does he say in the Torah? And these are God's words. For man shall not see me and live. But prophets who succeeded him, who were not on the same level as Moshe Rabbeinu himself, they actually had strong descriptions of what they saw. Yeshaya Hanavi says, Va'era es Hashem. And I beheld the divine. I beheld Hashem. Yechaskel says, And I beheld, and there was an image. How could you see an image? And that is, the cloudier your looking glass, the more you think you see. The clearer your looking glass, the more you see the truth, that there really is nothing else besides for Hashem. So, the worlds come down in a succession of contractions. The higher the world, the less the concealments. The lower the world, the more the concealments. So world to world, the concealments have grown stronger and more opaque, more concealing of the divine truth. So much so, ad shenivra ilam haza hagashmi v'hachumri mamish, culminating in the creation of this physical, gross world. That really leaves us with a question. We're going to look at the words and we're realizing that the world, we said this world comes as a result of the chain-like order of the descent of the worlds. So the Kabbalistic concept of evolution. One world evolves from another. 
Why is it that when we get to this world, the Alter Rebbe says something that could throw us off? He says, this concealment is the subject of Hishdalshlos through the many garments, culminating in the creation of this world. Why is he using the word creation? Why isn't he using the word evolution? It evolved from the higher worlds. And that's because this world is unique. There's something in this world that no other world has. All the other worlds are spiritual. This is the only world that is physical. What's the difference between spiritual and physical? Spirituality always announces its source. The way to know if something is, exists spiritually is if it's true. If it's true, it exists. If it's not true, it doesn't exist. One plus one is true. It exists. Two plus two is five is not true. That doesn't exist. Spirituality exists if it's true, and it always announces its source. The best analogy that we have for that in our physical world is light. When you look at light, you don't have to stop and meditate. It must come from somewhere. Light just doesn't come without a creator. No. You look at the light, and you automatically know that there's a source for this light. Light says, I'm coming from somewhere. You know that it's coming from the light bulb. You know that it's coming from the sun. You automatically see its source. Physicality, the expression is kan nemza, kan haya. Here it is found, here it was. It just is. It doesn't have to say why it's here or it doesn't have to be true meaning. It doesn't have to exist. It doesn't, like some things need to exist and some things don't need to exist. But if it's physical, it just exists whether or not it needs to exist. So physicality is a totally different dimension. It is a total different state of affairs than spirituality. And physicality only exists in our world. Now let's see how the Alter Rebbe describes our world. This world is the lowest in degree. There is none lower than it in terms of concealment of his light. So we were looking for the lowest realms. We said, Hashem desired to dwell in the lowest realms. Hands down, it's right here. This is the lowest world of all the worlds. Here, the concealment is the most. So opaque. The Alter Rebbe says, V'chayshech kafel u'mechupel. And no world compares with it for doubled and redoubled darkness. Nowhere is God's light as hidden as it is in this world. It is so dark. It's not just dark. It's doubled and redoubled darkness. The Baal Shem Tev explains the Pasuk, the verse from the Torah. And I will surely hide my face on that day. To literally translate it, it means and hide. I will hide my face on that day. And the Baal Shem Tev explains that there's two kinds of hidings. First of all, Hashem hid himself. Second of all, he hides the fact that he's hiding. It's one thing if you know he's there, but he's hidden. But he doesn't just hide. It's so dark that he hides the fact that he's hiding. There's a Hasidic tune to the verse from Tehillim. Achen ata kel mistater. Indeed, you are a God who hides himself. 
And surprisingly, the tune is very joyful, or somewhat joyful, shall I say. Why would that be a joyful song? Indeed, you are a God who hides himself. But the reason is, once you realize he's hiding, you're already so close. Initially, you couldn't even know he was hiding. This world is such a darkness. It's a doubled and redoubled darkness that Hashem hides and he hides the fact that he's hiding. This world is a place where darkness could seem to be light. Confusion could seem to be clarity. This world is a world of distortion. It is so dark. There's a story of Hasidim who got together to Farbring, to inspire each other, to share, to learn. And they were toasting each other, Lachayim. And in the middle of their gathering, they ran out of wine. So they send one guy down to the cellar to get wine. And he screams up, it's so dark in here. I can't find the wine. I can't see anything. So one of the guys calls down to him, don't worry, stay there a little longer and you'll get used to it. And he said, oh, no, no, that's exactly what I'm afraid of. I don't want to get used to the darkness. We are so used to the darkness. The darkness feels like light. There's a story of the previous Rebbe when he came, arrived at America before he disembarked his ship. He instructed his secretary to sit down and to write his plans of what he'd like to accomplish when he gets to the new land, to America. Now the secretary said, Rebbe, we just arrived. We're about to disembark. I want to help you. Can I do this possibly after we get to the hotel and we would have settled? And then I can take some notes on what I plan to accomplish. I plan to accomplish in America. And the Rebbe said, no. Once you disembark, once you enter the new land, your perceptions will change. You need to write your notes now before you disembark the ship. So we've already disembarked. We're here. We're in this lowest realm. This world wins when it comes to lowest, the most dark. How dark is it? So much so that it is filled with klipot and sitra achra which actually oppose God, saying, I am, and there is nothing else besides me. Like, how much worse can you get than that? Let's contrast this with the utter truth. The utter truth is, there is nothing else besides Hashem. And then there can come a creature who announces and says, I am, and not only I am, I exist, but there's nothing else besides me. This is total Klipa, this is total tumma. this is complete impurity, the opposite of the truth, the full lie. And that is possible only in this world, that a creature cannot just say I exist, but a creature can say there's nothing else besides me. That's possible in this world. So we understand now that this world is definitely the lowest of all the worlds. And it is in this world that Hashem desired to have a dwelling place. It is thus clear that the term lower realms refers to this physical world, the very lowest in degree of divine revelation. Okay, so let's sum up what we said until now, and then we're going to move into this next section. We said that we started to discuss the Seder Hishtalshlus, the chain-like order of the descent of the worlds. We said that worlds evolve one from the other until this lowest world has been created. And this world is the darkest of all the worlds. This world is different than all of the worlds. This world is the only world where there's total opacity, total obscurity, where you cannot see the divine. 
Now we're going to look at all these worlds and we're going to wonder, really, why would the purpose be in this lowest world? It doesn't seem to make sense. It would make sense to think that the purpose would be in the highest world. And we would be right. But we're looking from a very limited perspective. We're looking from our human perspective, where we are so bedazzled by holy angels and beings that have so much awareness of the divine that we forget to see higher than that. Let's read what they write over here, and then we're going to move into the text. Since there is but one order of histalshalus, a question arises. Does its ultimate purpose lie in the higher worlds where godliness is revealed to a greater degree? while the lower worlds serve only to emphasize the revelation found in those higher than them, since light is distinguishable only where darkness exists, or on the contrary, does the purpose lie in the lower realms? But in order to create them, an order of histalshalus is necessary, entailing the creation of the higher realms. So what we're saying is like this. There's one unit here. It's called seder histalshalus. There's a chain. The purpose has to be on one end of the chain or the other. It's not like each world was created for its own purpose. These worlds all comprise one unit. So in figuring out what's the purpose, we have to look. Is it in the highest of the chain or is it on the lowest of the chain? If it would be the highest of the chain, then we would say, well, what purpose would lower worlds serve? Why would they exist lower worlds if the purpose is in the highest world? And we would say because it just shows how great and special the higher world is. By these lower worlds evolving from them, those lower worlds would serve to show how precious and important the highest world is. Or is the purpose here in this lowest world? Obviously, concealment of godliness is not an end in itself. Thus, if we assume the second position, it follows that the lower realms were created so that the darkness pervading them be transformed to light. The statement that God desired an abode in the lower realms shows the latter position to be true. And the abode is built by the revelation of his presence in this lowest of worlds to a degree surpassing even the highest. This, in brief, is the subject of the following paragraphs in the next text. So, the statement of our sages that God desired a dwelling place in the lowest realms, Altarb is going to show us how it's actually just logical. It's something that we would have to arrive at just from a point of logic. And this is what he says. Listen to these words. The purpose of the histalshalus of the worlds and of their descent from level to level is not for the sake of the higher worlds. Since for them, this constitutes a descent from the light of his countenance. And this is really the punchline here, okay? Because when we're comparing worlds to worlds, we're like, wow, the higher worlds are amazing. We're so bedazzled. Our brain is in a state of buzz. We're so under the influence of the halo effect. But one second, the author of is telling us, calm down. Yes, when you compare the worlds to each other, those worlds look so amazing. But stop and compare the worlds to Hashem. What are the higher worlds? And he says, What are them? What are they? They're just a downgrade. 
All they are is a downgrade. Look at the highest world. What is it? It's a contraction of Hashem's light. There's no, what's the purpose in that? What would be the purpose of just a downgrade? We're getting so inspired. We're getting so, that's not the right word. We're getting so influenced. So I can't find the right word. So bedazzled by these higher worlds where the angels just sing praises of Hashem all day. They're so conscious of his existence. But we forget what that is. It's just a world. World means concealment. Any world experiences a concealment of the divine. So the highest world, what is the highest world? It's just a downgrade. It's a downgrade from Hashem's light. So where would the purpose lie and why? The very word olam in Hebrew denotes concealment. Thus, even the highest worlds constitute by their very existence, a descent from the pervading level of godliness that preceded their creation. It is illogical then to say that the revelation which these higher worlds represent is the purpose of the Hishtalshalas, since their revelation is actually concealment, and the ultimate purpose of creation lies in revelation, not concealment. Concealment can't be the purpose. So what does the Alter Rebbe say? Ela hatachlas hu ailam haze hatachtain. Rather, the purpose of Hishtalshalas is in this lowest world. All the higher worlds are merely steps in the descent of the divine creative power. In each of them, the light is veiled yet further until it is finally reduced to the minute degree of revelation that this physical world is capable of receiving. So everything really just leads down to here, to this lowest point, and the lowest point is right here. This is the purpose. Now, all the higher worlds are just a downgrade of revelation, And this world is something original. This world is different. This world experiences no revelation at all. Nothing like that exists in the higher worlds. Okay, so I get it that this is the only world that's original. But what makes original good? Not everything that's original is good. But the point is, this utter darkness has the capacity to become utter light. And that is possible only in this world. So every other world is just a downgrade. Every other world is nothing original, just a diminution of what was before. Step by step by step, Hashem conceals himself more and more, the higher worlds less, the lower worlds more. But all it is in the spiritual world is just a downgrade. You can see less. This world is something different. This world is something original. You can't see anything at all. There's darkness here. Now, what is the point of this darkness? Listen to this. Thus, the purpose of the Hishtalshlis is this world, for such was his will, that he find it pleasurable when the Sitra Achra is subjugated to holiness and the darkness of Klippa is transformed into holy light. So Hashem had this will. And he has this, he desired to have this pleasure of darkness being subdued and darkness being transformed to light. So let's talk about these statements. This is from the Zohar. The Zohar explains that Hashem derives tremendous pleasure when darkness is subdued. So what does it mean darkness is subdued? We live in a dark world. We encounter situations of darkness all the time. When a person encounters darkness, 
and doesn't fall for it? When a person lives in this world of darkness and chooses the right path, chooses to be kind to someone even if it doesn't make sense, chooses to study even if they feel like they don't have time, what they're doing is encountering darkness and instead of allowing the darkness to subjugate them, they are subjugating the darkness. And when we subjugate the darkness, this brings Hashem tremendous pleasure. And furthermore, not only do we subjugate darkness, but we actually transform it to light. Meaning, when a person takes something material and uses it for holiness, this is something that doesn't reveal the divine, and now it becomes something that is an instrument to reveal the divine. So they are taking darkness and transforming it to light, and this brings Hashem the greatest pleasure. Now, let's stop for a minute, and let's look at human pleasure and contrast it to divine pleasure. This is something that is found in the writings of the great Chassid and Sadiq. This is a Chassid of the Alter Rebbe. Rabhilo Parachur. He wrote this work called Pelach Harima. And he writes that the nature of taste is source in pleasure. Why do you have a taste for certain things? Because certain things give you pleasure. What's the reason for pleasure? A person feels a lack. They feel a deficiency in their soul. And they yearn for something. They desire something because they feel like this thing will complete them in some way or another. And that's why pleasure is so individual because each of us have our unique makeup, our unique constitution. Each of us have those things that we feel that we lack. And so we try to attain them to fulfill us and that brings us pleasure. But let's look at Hashem. The Maharal writes, describing the divine, describing Hashem, he is Shleimusa Dechayla, the utter completion. Hashem is totally complete. He doesn't lack anything. How could something bring him pleasure? In our experience, things bring us pleasure because we lack. We feel a deficiency. We feel like something is lacking from our soul. And so we desire it and that brings us pleasure. Hashem doesn't lack anything. How could he have a desire? What brings him pleasure? And so he explains as follows. It's like somebody who doesn't need anything at all. And by the way, each of us in a certain space are very complete because we have a divine soul and our divine soul lacks nothing. It's like somebody who's in a place where he lacks nothing and yet he makes this firm decision that he's going to desire something. So a person does not have, it's like this person who has no desire for something, but he chooses, I'm going to desire that. So he doesn't care for kombucha and he says, you know what? Today I choose kombucha will bring me pleasure. That firm decision causes that kombucha brings him pleasure. So for Hashem, we don't know what he desires, why he desires. First of all, as we discussed last week, we can't ask a question about Hashem's desire, but ultimately Hashem is perfect. The reason why he desires is because he chose to desire he chose to desire this amazing thing, that he gets pleasure when darkness is subdued and when darkness is transformed to light. That brings him the ultimate pleasure. So that in the place of the darkness of the Sitra Achra, prevailing throughout this world, the Ain Sof light will shine forth. 
So right now this world is a world of darkness, not just regular darkness like we said. It's doubled and redoubled darkness, totally obscures the divine. Hashem chose to derive pleasure from us encountering this darkness, subduing it, and transforming it to light. We actually encountered this idea earlier in chapter 27, and this gives a lot of us a lot of strength to know that every time we encounter darkness, every time we encounter a challenge and we choose the right way, we choose the highway, we are subduing darkness, and this causes that the darkness in the supernal worlds are subdued before Hashem. So we think it's like my small little act here. I was just thinking negatively about someone and I quickly changed my thoughts. What difference does that make? Do you know what difference that makes? That makes the hugest difference. That makes a difference in the supernal world. A person having a little bit of self-control in their heart that nobody will ever know about creates supernal effects. This is world transforming. And this is what Hashem chose. Now look at the words of the Alter Rebbe. The ultimate desire, the completion of Hashem's desire, is that the darkness will be sub- subdued, the, light, the darkness will be transformed to light, and the light will shine throughout the entirety of the world. This is something unique about Judaism. Because Hashem doesn't want just a little corner. Hashem wants His light to shine throughout the world. And look at ourselves, the microcosm. Hashem doesn't want just a little corner of our life. That's what makes Judaism so all-transforming because Hashem wants our entirety. He wants our identity. Our sages said, Rachamana libabai. Hashem wants our heart. On one hand, you're going to say, really? (sighs) Can I have any space for myself? No, I'll tell you why. Because your actual identity is divine. And when we express our divine self, we're living our truest self. And when every aspect of our personality expresses the divine, That's when we are most true to our inner core. So it's not just what Hashem wants. It's actually what we want. When we live in line with our truest essence, that we are divine, we are happy and we express the divine in this world. Now, how how much should this be? It's going to shine in this world in a different way than it shines in any other world. With greater strength and intensity, and with superior and with the superior quality of light that emerges from darkness, meaning when darkness is transformed into light, the resulting light is superior to ordinary light. It will thus shine with greater intensity than its radiance in the higher worlds. So ultimately, when the light shines in this world, it's not just going to the world is not just going to gain parity with the upper worlds. The light is going to be so much more intense in this world than it is in any other world. The previous Rebbe writes that when somebody studies this chapter in Tanya patiently and contemplates the ideas, they come to realize why it is that this world is called Hashem's garden. Shlomo HaMelech writes in Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, Basi Lagani Achaisi Kala, I have come to my garden, my sister, my bride. And our sages explain in the Midrash that my garden, this is Hashem's, Hashem talking about this world, which he calls my garden, the lowest realms. How could this world be called a garden? But now when we understand the potential of this world, the world that is utterly dark, that has the potential of this darkness, not just going away, 
but being transformed into light. The light here is going to be far superior than the light in any other world. Now, we can say, what does that mean, the superior of darkness over light? So one thing is, you know, you're sitting in a dark room. You can't see a thing, and suddenly the light goes on. You suddenly appreciate the light much better. But this is something different. This is the darkness itself being transformed to light. When the darkness itself is transformed to light, it's a whole other quality of light. We don't have an experience like that in our world. But this is darkness, and the darkness itself becomes light. That kind of light is going to be much stronger, much more intense, much superior to the light that shines in any other world. Okay, so how does the light shine in the higher world? There in the higher world, it shines through garments and through concealment of the countenance, a concealment of the pnimiyot, the pnimiyot, meaning the internal aspect of the light, which conceal and screen the ain't sof light, so that the worlds do not dissolve out of existence. For were the ain't sof light not screened, by garments, the world could not bear it and would dissolve. Thus, the revelation wrought by subjugation of the klipot in this world is greater than that of the higher world. There, the ain't so flight is hidden, whereas here in this world, it is revealed in all its strength. So here is something really crazy. The higher worlds cannot tolerate any more revelation than they already have. There's this tightrope walk, like we discussed last week. When Hashem wanted to do away with a group of angels, he revealed himself more than they could handle and they just expired out of existence. Just like an electrical cable cannot handle too strong of an electrical load, if they have more than they could handle, they just cease to exist. Our world is a world of darkness. We don't have that problem or very rarely do we have that problem. The Talmud tells a story of a young boy who was studying the book of Yechezkel, Ezekiel. And when he apprehended the cryptic word Hashmal, he gave his soul back to Hashem. He expired. And the sages said, wow, this book is dangerous. We're going to hide it. Look at this boy. He was studying Yechaskel and he expired out of existence. We need to hide the book. And Hanani Melchizedek said, no, no, no. Even though he is wise, are all men this wise? This is a very rare occurrence. People in this world don't just open up Yechezkel, read Hashmal, and then expire. It doesn't happen because the darkness here is so prevalent. This is the only world where we can handle more revelation. And not just more revelation, but ultimately it's going to be the ultimate revelation. A question arises, however. How is it possible, even upon subjugating and tr- the klipot and transforming them into holiness that we in this world should experience a revelation of the Ein Sof light without veil or concealment when even the higher world cannot receive such revelation without dissolving into nothingness. So what we said was like this. There's an utter truth. The truth is that there's nothing else besides for Hashem. If anybody becomes cognizant of the fact that they are actually just a fiction, they can't continue to exist. It can't be. So in order for, cons- for existence to be maintained, we have to be in a state of oblivion. And yet we are saying that it is possible in this world to experience not just as much light, as much revelation as there is in the higher worlds, but actually to experience the highest level of revelation 
and still maintain existence. It shouldn't be possible. It sounds impossible and it should be impossible. How is that possible? And that's something we're going to visit next class. So let's review what we said until now. And that is that if we examine this order of the chain-like descent of the worlds and we wonder where is the purpose, the purpose has to be here in the lowest worlds. Because yes, those highest worlds are wonderful. They're marvelous. They're so full of divine revelation. But what are they? They're just a downgrade. They're a downgrade of Hashem's light. He hid himself in order to create those worlds. There's nothing new or original in them. The only place of originality is this world. This world of complete concealment totally hides the divine. So much so that there could be creatures who even deny him. And Hashem chose to derive pleasure from darkness being subjugated, darkness being transformed to light, and that ultimate revelation will be happening here in this world. It doesn't seem possible at all that existence should be exposed to the essence of the divine and continue to exist, and yet there is that possibility here in this world, and we're going to discuss that next week, Bezrat Hashem. So class is over, and I'm opening up now for questions and discussion. Remember, you're on mute, so if you want to say something, please unmute yourself. May I ask a quick question? Sure, please. So I'm wondering, I used to think that we exist because of the higher world. And I'm starting to wonder now from every, from your last two classes, if the higher world exists for the purpose of us. Am I being a little bit too like sure of myself? No, you're actually okay. saying you you are amazing. And this is a concept that the Rebbe explains in explaining this chapter in Tanya. And he says, this chapter explains something. Now we understand something. These, these lines that we just visited here, they even have this in a note at the end of this chapter. Because there's a principle that something great cannot exist in order to serve something lesser than itself. So if those worlds are greater than our world, they couldn't exist to serve us. But in reading this chapter, we understand that this world is actually the greatest world. And yes, those worlds exist to bring this world into being. Those worlds exist to serve this world. 